0: Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you so much for all the blessings that you give to us. Lord, I thank you for your word and the truth that you've given us in your word. Lord, this morning as we dig into your word, I pray that you will open our minds so that we can hear what you are telling us. Open our hearts, Lord, so that you can change us to be who you want us to be, Lord, and open our hands so that we can be on mission for you. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Acts, uh, and this is Jesus' Mission Continues. I know it's been a long series, but we have this one and then one more, and I think we'll be done with Acts. Um, <clears throat> and we'll get in. <clears throat> Sorry, we'll get into our Christmas uh, series and then we'll start something new in, in the new year. Um, but uh, this series uh, it's the book of Acts and it's Jesus's mission continues. It's a look at disciple making in the early church. And we want to know what lessons we can learn to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this morning we're in Acts chapter 28 and it's verses 1 through 10. I know last time I was up here, I I read a huge chunk for you. and So it's not as big of a chunk this time, thank goodness. But this is Paul's last stop before Rome. And we see that God can work no matter what our situation is. God can work through you no matter what your situation is. And we see this played out in three different ways. First is that justice is defined by God's character. Second is that the glory always belongs to God. And finally is that Jesus cures our greatest sickness so Jesus is the cure for our greatest sickness Now <clears throat> sorry last time we were here we were in the book of Acts we saw Paul sailing towards Rome now he wasn't sailing as in he is the sailor but he was a prisoner aboard a ship who was taking him to Rome and the Mediterranean Sea was um, was not very kind to them. Uh, they were trying to get from uh, from Jerusalem or from Caesarea up to Rome which, typically wouldn't be too tough of a trip, but they left pretty late in the year and had a really strong storm come up, and it pushed them all over the sea, and the boat got battered, and it was bad enough where everybody on board thought they were going to die, except for Paul, because Paul had gotten a word from God, and God told Paul that he would go to Rome to speak for God, that he would go to share the gospel in Rome, and that everybody aboard the ship would be spared as well, and so as they're going, and the storm is raging, finally, they spot, some, they spot an island, and as the ship is being torn apart, they all jump overboard to swim to this island. And that's where we find ourselves now. It's at the beginning of chapter 28, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire, took us all in, since it was raining and cold. <clears throat> as... <clears throat> As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man, no doubt, is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. So the people originally believed that Paul was guilty because justice was not letting him escape. Now, if you realize, or if you, if you look at this, um, in the CSB, the, the translation that I read from, this is capitalized, justice. In a couple of your other translations, it should also be capitalized as well. In some of the older translations, they take this and, and give it more of an idea of justice. But the reason that it's capitalized here is because the people of Malta, and in the, in the Roman Empire, justice was a proper noun. Justice was a god, and so we're not capitalizing this because justice is a god, but we're capitalizing it because it is a name. It's not just an idea of justice, but this is a name. Justice, um, the Greeks believed justice was a goddess that worked through the circumstances to establish people's fate, making sure that they got their just reward. Um, This is a perverted idea of justice because it is based on something other than the identity of the one true God, the God of the Bible. A modern equivalent to this would be the idea of karma. Now, I know it sounds weird to think of karma as a modern equivalent, because karma is an ancient idea as well. Uh, But this belief is based in Buddhism and Hinduism, and karma says that someone's actions in this life determines the state in which they are reincarnated. Now, that's karma. If you live a good enough life, then you will be reincarnated into a better life. But if you live a bad life, then you'll be reincarnated into a worse life. But now modern Western culture has taken this idea of karma and adopted it and and adjusted it a little bit because reincarnation isn't a real popular idea in our culture. And so the modern idea of karma is that if you do bad things, then bad things are going to happen to you. But if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. It's almost like you're trying to keep the universe in balance and keep the universe happy with doing enough good things so that the universe doesn't punish you through some mysterious force called karma. It's almost as if the universe is keeping score, and we have to make sure we've done enough good to please the universe. This, again, is a perverted idea of justice, because it's based on something other than the identity of the one true God. Secondly, it is directly opposite of what the Bible teaches. It is directly opposite of the gospel. See, according to the gospel, there is not enough good that we can do to overcome our sin. Even worse, everything that we do when we try to be good is still tainted by sin. Because of this, our relationship with God has been broken, and we deserve to be eternally punished in hell. That sounds like the good news, doesn't it? Well, the good news, it's good news because it doesn't stop there. You See, you deserve hell. I deserve hell. We all deserve hell. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to take the punishment for our sin. He came. He lived a perfect life. He died the death that we deserve so that we can have our relationship with God restored. And we, when we believe in his life, death, and resurrection, our sins are forgiven. And our eternal destination is changed from hell to heaven. But more importantly, our relationship with God is restored. This, this is real justice. See, in the Bible, justice is about reconciliation. It's not about punishment. Often it does include punishment, But that's not the purpose of justice. In the Bible, a reflection of God's character, justice is about reconciliation. See, often we want justice to end in punishment. When we think of justice, we think we want the criminals to be in the prison. But what's the purpose of prison? It's not to lock the bad people away. The purpose is to have them learn they, they, they learn the consequences of their mistakes and they come out to live a better life. That's reconciliation. The purpose of justice is reconciliation. You see, God is relational. Real justice is about restoring relationships because God is relational. Relationships are important enough to God that he would give his son to restore our relationship to him. Now, for a deeper discussion on this, I encourage you to listen to the Life School podcast, episode number 185. And the title of that episode is, How Do We Love Mercy and Do Justice? Again, that's Life School Podcast. It's, you know, I gave you a very short version here that goes in about 20 minutes, and they're talking about justice and how justice is about reconciliation. I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but there's a really good discussion in there. Uh, if we keep reading, uh, we'll pick up in verse 5, it says, But he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. See, Paul shakes the snake off and he suffers no harm. And the people say that he is a god. Now, if you were in Paul's shoes, shoes, how would you respond? See, Paul could easily here use these people's beliefs. Beliefs? He could use their beliefs that he is a god and try to manipulate them. Maybe get them to fight against the Roman guard that's holding Paul captive so that he can be free. Or maybe accept their worship and accept their gifts and live like a king. Now, we're not told exactly how Paul responds, but we can take a pretty good guess because we know Paul's character. We know that Paul, no matter what the situation is, he gives the glory to God. But what about being called a god? Wouldn't that be tempting? Wouldn't it be tempting our ego to be able to command a whole group of people? Well, we see this played out in movies and TV shows. In Star Wars, the Ewoks think C-3PO is a god, and the group uses this to their advantage. In the cartoon Futurama, there's a robot. And it seems to be a lot of this going around robots. There's a robot, robot named Bender. And there's a a group who thinks that he's a god, and he ends up using that to his advantage, and he accepts their worship. Uh, So how does Paul respond? You know, it's a shame that we can't look here and see how Paul responds, or it's a shame that we can't look somewhere else in the Bible and see how Paul would respond in this situation. Well, actually, we can, because this has happened before. We see in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 8, In Lystra, a uh, a man was sitting who was without strength in his feet, had never walked, and had been lame from birth, he listened as Paul spoke. After looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And he jumped up and began to walk around. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted. Sorry, I forgot to skip. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they shouted, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gate because he, uh, because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice. So here we see Paul, again, in a similar situation. He's being mistaken for a god, and people are coming to worship him. So how does Paul respond? We keep reading. It says, The apostles Barnabas and Paul tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also, just like you, and we are proclaiming good news to you, that you turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. So how does Paul respond here? Well, just as we would expect him to. He gives the glory to God. In Acts chapter 28, we're not told exactly how Paul responds, but we know he's a prisoner. But he continues to give the glory to God, because we know his character. We know what he has done. We see this tracks set already for him. Instead of trying to manipulate the people of Malta and try to escape from Roman incarceration, he simply gives the glory to God, and he goes on to continue on to his mission. Well, you might ask, how do I know that he continues on his mission? Well, we just keep reading. Picking up in verse 7, it says, Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days, Publius' father was in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. We see Paul is healing this man. This man is sick. He's suffering from fever and dysentery. According to Wikipedia, I'm not a medical expert, so I had to do a little bit of research. According to Wikipedia, dysentery nowadays is quite unpleasant, but with proper medical treatment, somebody can make a full recovery in about two to four weeks. However, without proper medical treatment, dysentery often leads to death. Even nowadays, it's estimated to kill about 100,000 people every year, still.
1: Mm -hmm. With modern medicine
0: and treatment, people are still dying from this disease. Imagine the medical treatment or, I guess, lack thereof, that this man would have had. Um, How many of you ever played or know of the game Oregon Trail? It was an old computer game. Um, It was a popular computer game. A lot of schools used it when I was in elementary school. Um, It portrays the struggle of dysentery before modern medicine. Now I can't tell you, as I was playing this game, I can't tell you how many times I saw this message. It says, you have died of dysentery. And so the story behind this game is you are a person in uh, colonial America or in uh, early America and you're traveling from the East trying to get out to Oregon. And along the way you encounter different struggles and one of them obviously is dysentery. And it's kind of become a joke where I actually pulled this picture from a t-shirt that they sell nowadays because people from my generation can recall how often we saw this message and how struggling it was to be going, you're traveling, you know, being pulled in a wagon, and you're traveling, you've made it almost there, and all of a sudden you die from dysentery, and the game's over, you lose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Paul comes along, and through the power of God, he heals this man from dysentery. Now, we have to remember that physical healings in the book of Acts serve to point to spiritual healing, physical healings in the book of Acts serve to point to the gospel, the spiritual healing that the gospel brings. You see, we may not be suffering from dysentery, but you and I, we were born with a disease that's much worse than dysentery. I said nowadays, dysentery still kills an estimated 100,000 people a year, but every single person born with this disease will die. This disease is called sin. Death is the punishment for sin. Death is the result of sin. And the reason death is here at all is because of sin. You see, we're all sinners. And unlike other diseases, sin has a 100% mortality rate. As a matter of fact, we read in Genesis 3 that death is only here because of sin. No modern medicine or treatment can cure this disease. The only cure from this disease is an ancient cure. The Jewish carpenter from the first century provides the cure for us. This man is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. And he came and he lived the sinless life. And he sacrificed himself so that he could give us the cure for our sin. So that he could take the punishment for our sin and give us his righteousness. He is our cure. And his sacrifice is our medicine. And his resurrection is our hope. Now, I have a question for you. What would you do if you found the cure for cancer? If you found something that would cure all cancer immediately, what would you do? It's not a rhetorical question. What what would you do? Uh, We'd praise God. What else would we do? We'd, We'd give it to other people. We would share it. We would tell everybody about it. We would tell everybody about it. Now, cancer is a horrible, horrible disease, and it's one of the worst realities that we have to deal with in this life. But as bad as cancer is... Sin is much worse than cancer. Why? Modern medicine has no hope to fix our sin. While a lot of people die from cancer, some people beat it, and some people defeat cancer. See, none of us can defeat sin on our own, but we know the cure, and that cure is Jesus. If you could find the cure for cancer, you would share it. In the same way we know the cure for sin, we need to share it. Tell everybody about Jesus. When Paul heals this man in Malta, other sick people are brought to Paul so that he can heal them. And as he's healing their physical ailments, he's also sharing the gospel with them to heal their, their spiritual ailments. Paul, being a prisoner, is not letting, he's not sitting back and allowing his circumstances to stop him from continuing his mission. On the contrary, he's using his circumstances to spread the gospel. He's using the situation that he has put in to continue to give the glory to God and to tell other people about Jesus. So we come to our application point, our application points. And we want to know what lessons we can learn from this passage to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I break our application points down into three parts, knowing, being, and doing. And the first part, knowing, is to know that justice comes from God. Now, I don't, mean, I don't mean that God merely provides justice. Yes, that is part of what he does. But the very essence and reality of what justice is comes from God's character and how he has revealed himself to us. Remember that justice is about reconciliation. It's not about punishment. It's not about revenge. But it's about reconciliation. And Jesus offers that reconciliation to us through his sacrifice on the cross, And that leads us to our second application point, is to be healed and to be reconciled. Be reconciled to God through Jesus' sacrifice. Be healed from your sin through Jesus' sacrifice. See, Jesus' sacrifice does not only reconcile us to God. He is the cure for our greatest disease, sin. And sin leads to death. Now, I'm not saying that you won't die if you believe in Jesus, but I am saying that you will not suffer eternal death. See, unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die a physical death. And after that physical death comes something else. There's always something else after that. If we believe in Jesus' sacrifice, if we accept salvation through him, after that physical death comes life eternal with God. However, if you don't believe in Jesus for reconciliation and healing, after that physical death comes eternal punishment and hell. This is a real place, and it's a real place that we all deserve because of our sin. Without calling out to Jesus for salvation, you will get what you deserve. Finally, our doing part, our doing application, that is to share this cure. Jesus is the cure for our greatest disease. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, share this. Share this cure with those around you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the model that Paul gives us. The, I, I pray, Lord, that we can take these lessons and apply them to our lives. I pray, Lord, that you will use us to share your glory, that you will use us to show your glory to those around us. Father, I pray that you will use us to offer reconciliation because of the, uh, the sacrifice that you gave to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I've come to our point of application, and you can pray where you're seated. You can come to the front and pray at the cross, or you can come and pray with me. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.